Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about the politics of printing. On this episode, I have a really fun and wide-ranging conversation with the graphic designer, educator, writer, and political organizer, Danielle Aubert. Danielle is the author of a really fascinating new book called The Detroit Printing Co-op, The Politics of the Joys of Printing, which is a richly illustrated history of how graphic design was practiced outside the mainstream capitalist system at this really interesting co-op in Detroit, Michigan. Danielle specifically looks at the work of Freddie and Lorraine Perlman, who were two people who were not designers or printers by training, but were really deeply interested in the political potential of the printing processes. It's a great book that I just absolutely loved, and and we spend a lot of time talking about it in this episode. Danielle is also an associate professor in graphic design at Wayne State University and is involved in local politics and union organizing in Detroit. In this conversation, Danielle and I talk about all of those things. We talk a lot about the Detroit Printing Co-op and the Perlmans and how they saw the intersection of form and content. We also talk about how this book challenges our perceptions of design history and, and highlights the needs in expanding the canon. We also talk about her teaching practice and how this book intersects with that, as well as how politics enters the classroom and influences really all of her work. This is a a really fun conversation. Like I said, it's a really engaging conversation that I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that is written by me, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like Scratching the Surface, if you want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you, as always, for listening. And here is my conversation with Danielle Aubert. this book, The Detroit Printing Co-op, The Politics of the Joy of Printing, um, which I always get wrong every time I say it. I always say I the, know, politics, it's on purpose. the politics of printing or the joy of printing. I always mix it up. Um, and th- I found this book so fascinating for a variety of reasons. And so I kind of want to start by talking about that. For listeners who are unfamiliar, can you kind of describe what the Detroit printing co-op is and then also how and where you first encountered it and kind of came to to working on this book yes um so the detroit printing co-op existed from 1970 to 1980 so it's no longer exists um in downtown detroit or i should say in southwest detroit and um basically it was a print shop that was um that was established by a group of people who were all on the left. They were kind of like quote unquote movement people or like Mm -hmm. activists, although Mm -hmm. they didn't self-describe themselves as as activists. And they um, set up, they basically got access to a offset press, like a big old offset press Mm -hmm. that had been used for more like industrial printing. And, um, you know, found a space and um, set up, a photo like dark room which was necessary at the time to make plates and um 
just started printing stuff. And so one of the most famous things that they printed that like people will have known is the Society of the Spectacle yeah. by Guy Debord, Guy Debord. And so they did the, and they, members of the co or they didn't call themselves members, but like users of the co-op um, actually translated that text too <laughs> from the French um, and, um, unauthorized that, unauthorized right? yeah and not all that was of the, a little detail that i liked <laughs> yeah they just they they the so what the sort of like main figures in the co-op that i focused on in the book were um freddie perlman and lorraine perlman who were a couple and freddie had been in france um in may 68 during the mm. like big mass like worker student uprising and um I'm presuming it was around that time that he kind of learned of this book and then brought it back to the States. And then they were just like super into the text. And so mm. then they, Freddie Lorraine and like another couple of people, there was like six of them. They met every day and translated the text and um, not, I mean, what I think is sometimes funny is not all of the members of the group actually spoke French. So, mm. um, but they were just like super into it and they, um, I mean, it's, it's, I'm just like going off on a tangent now about this particular yeah, book. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> but they, um, but they, uh, they would just like talk about the ideas. You know, it's sort of it's about capitalism, but it's sort of it's like an update on Marx, and it's sort of talking about um, it. Sort of made felt I think very relevant and contemporary at the time because it was talking about like consumer culture in a way that Marx didn't, because Marx's text was written, um, you know, like hundred years before or whatever. So. This is kind of um, so. So one of the things that they did was they brought in all these images. Like as they were reading, it would like give them ideas, and they would just get images from magazines or specifically um, the image collection at the Detroit Public Library main branch. So the library has this um, room of filing cabinets that's still there with like Manila folders with laminated um, cutout images um from magazines so they would just like take those and then like kind of collage them on the light table or whatever and make um you know just start it or or just drop in images just on their own all like uncaptioned and all without permission um and so they drop those in throughout the book and it's interesting because the french version is like very classic typography with like wide margins and you know serif typeface and no images whatsoever but the U.S. version has all the, the the first edition in particular has all these images, and then the other thing that's like really kind of recognizable about that edition is the cover um, has this photograph of people wearing 3D glasses um, in a like movie theater, and it's it's like yeah. Society of the Spectacle, and it's kind of like they're the spectacle, and it's so that image is like really iconic and associated with that edition. So I like. I mean, maybe this is actually this is actually how I came to learn about the co-op too. Was that um, oh. so? This kind of answers both of your <laughs> the initial yeah. questions, but like, like I knew that text because I had to read it. I think as an undergrad or something, I kind of came into contact with that text. I don't think I had that ed specific edition, but I was familiar with that edition. Like maybe, you know, maybe whoever taught the class had that edition. So I recognized that um, book. But um, I had no idea it was printed in Detroit, nor, you know, at that time, I never thought I would find myself in Detroit. So I maybe didn't even, like, take note of that as an interesting thing. But then um, but then I was at a, um exhibition, like, in Detroit um, in, like, 
2012, I think, around then. And um, that's the, it was about the books published by uh, Black and Red, which was the press that was run by Freddie and Lorraine Perlman. And so they had Society of Spectacle there. And I was like, wait, this was printed in Detroit? Hang on, you know, that's crazy. And not only that, it was translated here. And not only that, this was the only English translation that was in circulation up until the 90s. So there was like tens of thousands of copies were printed in Southwest Detroit. I mean, then they printed it commercially. But so then, and then I was just super interested in it because basically when I first moved to Detroit, there wasn't much happening here. There was a lot of people <laughs> leaving Detroit. Right, and right, yeah. There was like, um, I, I ended up like getting all these printers with it. I don't know. I just somehow came into the possession of all these printers and like would joke with people like, oh, you should just open a print shop where things would be free. Like you could just print. Mm, and then mm. I was like, whoa, they did this in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's a long roundabout Thing. Well, no, I mean, no, I think it's interesting. And I think I also, similarly to you, had read the Society of the Spectacle in school. Um, mm -hmm. And as I was reading your book, pulled out my copy and was like, huh, this is from this is for black and red. I mm -hmm. had no idea. Uh, and so and, and I have I think I have like the second edition one. So I don't think there are images in that one, or at least I don't remember the the, the images but but the way you described that book in their process of putting that book together is actually kind of indicative of the kind of work that was happening in the co-op and so there was this um you know i think this kind of unauthorized uh translation is interesting and speaks to the kind of um uh mm -hmm. kind of leftist anarchist sense at the co-op um i think obviously the text itself of the society of the spectacle and this these ideas of kind of consumers culture and things were very connected to things that they were interested in especially freddie and lorraine were interested in it seems like mm -hmm. um and then also this idea of i guess you could say collage you know kind of taking imagery and putting it together in different ways uh kind of comes up again and again in your book of how they were kind of thinking about printing as a way to spread their ideas mm -hmm. uh, and, and for the co-op form and content were inseparable, I mm -hmm, guess is, mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more about how this group of, I, I know you said that they didn't really refer to themselves as activists, but you know, activists, left-leaning kind of politically engaged people used printing mm -hmm. and how they saw printing as a way to connect to the ideas that they were interested in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so, you know, one thing to try to sort of establish is there was the co-op, which was this physical space that had this, you know, printers equipment and kind of a setup, but a lot of different groups used it. Um, or I shouldn't say a lot, but yeah, a lot of people, so p individuals, groups, um, you know, um, sort of different formations used the, the equipment. Um, but the most, the kind of constant people in the group were Freddie and Lorraine and, um, who had black and red, but they were not interested. This is not actually what you asked at all, but they were not really interested <laughs> in being like in creating like a group. 
so much. Oh yeah. You know, like so in the in like a political organization, they were very right. like they were very suspicious of political organizations. So they were like, "This is a, this is social property. This equipment can be used by anyone mm-hmm. who like will come in and use and maintain it." And um, especially at the beginning, they had debts because they had to pay off the, you know, the money they had borrowed to buy the printer and stuff. So they were like, if you came in and helped print this or that, you know, you basically gained access. So that's one thing that I think is um, so I'll I'll talk I can talk about Freddie and Lorraine because I feel like Freddie Freddie in particular was really interested in printing. And yeah, yeah. there's something there, you know, and but then there were other like all interesting groups that kind of came through at different um, times that had maybe a different approach based on to be honest I think a lot has to do with their structural relation to like wage labor so so Freddie Perlman um, did not work like he had a uh, outside of the co-op you know like he had he had had an academic job and left it and um, <laughs> right <laughs> hated it um, and but there were other people who were coming through the co-op who maybe did have jobs of different kinds, you know. And so 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 one of the things that that like drew me to the co-op was also that like they had this union bug, which is like maybe people have seen that, um, you know, that sort of circulated more by now. But it says abolish the wage system, abolish oh, the yeah. state, all power yeah. to the workers, and that's a really important like I don't know aspect of how they saw what they were doing like they were members of the IWW which is a union of workers you know so it's and it's like it's like it's a it's a union of like everybody um um so it's differentiates itself from like the skilled trades unions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it's sort of like all workers are can be a part of IWW so like I feel like the fact that they were um approaching their work from a from a point of view that was like opposed to wage labor or to that structure, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. um, led to different form, you know, because like there are certain things like you can spend 12 hours making a collage for this like political treaties that's actually kind of dry in other, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in other ways. And you can like layer all these colors because like you have the time to do that or you're like refusing to kind of let um, like the motive of like producing a commodity yeah determine how you set your time um right so yeah so i feel like the form so so yeah so specifically with freddie perlman um i would say the form and the content are totally intertwined and in fact so one of the more interesting texts that i think he printed it was called the incoherence of the intellectual Mm. And it's a text about a sociologist named C. Wright Mills. And mm-hmm. he writes in there like about craft and craftsmanship. Right. And like, I, I always felt like, or as I was sort of reading that text, I felt like this little book itself is like an example of this sort of um, critical relationship to craft, you know, like he kind of differentiated. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it's kind of interesting. It's like, he 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 feels like craft itself is um kind of can be like i don't want to say it can be like revolutionary but it's like he's just like he's like okay when you have craft or the craftsperson or whatever wakes up in the morning and is like i'm going to make a book and i'm going to and i'm going to get the paper and then i'm going to like cut it and make it this size and i'm going to use this kind of 
you know, and, and kind yeah. of like decides how they what they can like respond to the paper. They can encounter the paper and say like, oh, this paper is weird. I'm going to like actually cut it this size because it will sit better that way. So like a craftsperson can do that as opposed to like someone who's in like a factory setting or even like mm. a designer who's like separated from the, that, that part of that stage, you know, can't respond right. to the paper or the material conditions because that's the, the division of labor, like separates them out. And so like mills and then also like um, Freddie Perlman kind of talk about how that's creates almost like this, like schizophrenia for the, like it, it, it it's like, you cannot, you can never be whole and, or happy if you're like, <laughs> It, it, when you're engaging in a div- in, in in like labor that's divided in that way, yeah. I mean, you quote Lorraine uh, in the book as saying that that Freddie saw printing as like the full connection of theory and practice. Yeah. In that you know he would have this idea, have this plan, and then at the end of that process, it would be a physical object, and that that there was something really important about that that connection, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, and actually Lorraine wrote with him some stuff too, Mm, kind of, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but it's, but so let's say like he's writing, typesetting, laying it out at the light table, you know, exposing the plates, moving the stacks of paper, you know, like over to the printer, cutting the paper, binding everything, you know, and distributing, mailing. So that there's this kind of like, there's like a kind of coherence, um, which yeah is weird. <laughs> it's like... uh, some, yeah, something something else that you wrote in the book that I I, I thought was interesting that connects to this that I'm, I'm I'd like to ask you about. You write uh, many of the publications printed at the co-op exude a raw enthusiasm for the craft of printing, attention to graphic detail, and a playfulness with respect to the tools and materials they were using. Members of the co-op didn't relate to the idea of graphic design or print production as wage labor or a step in their career development, but as a craft with revolutionary potential. I think that's exactly right. Uh, And I found this idea fascinating that uh, these people and and Freddie and Lorraine, especially, I think, I think you were kind of talking about them specifically at this point, um, saw the visual representation of this as equally as important uh, as the content in some way and yeah. used the used the technology of printing and used the accessibility of printing to really play with the form of these things to like you said earlier to not just you know typeset this in like black and white you know whatever they you know playing with layering playing with color playing with collage do you have us and 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 the work in the book and the book is, you know, incredibly illustrated with all of this <laughs> material mm-hmm. that they that they printed, and it's so energetic and lively. And I, I like just, in addition to reading the book, spent so much time just looking at everything because it was so kind of fascinating and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a sense on where that came from, either for Freddie or Lorraine, and for the kind of the co op in general? This idea that the graphic form that quote unquote graphic design uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was a key part of their interests. Yeah. I tried, you know, it's funny because I really tried to ask Lorraine so many times in different ways and about this. And 
I will send her this podcast. She'll, she may listen to it, but like I, I was, <laughs> but I would be like, I'd be like, did Freddie know like William Morris or like, I was yeah. like, or I was like in France, did he like go to the Atelier Populaire, you know, that you hear about like with yeah. those posters that we all as graphic designers know. And she's like, no, not really. You know? And <laughs> I'd be like, did you, I was like, were you like involved in like the art world? Like, you know, like there was sort of like psychedelic poster design in Detroit um, in mm. the 70s. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nah, not really. Like, and they, but, but they, um, he was really into William Blake, you know, is an interesting reference. I think it's like the, um, I read that I was an English major, so I did read that, but it's like songs of sorrow or, you know, it's like these like illustrated poems. So, so, and I think that that was very interesting to him. She's, you know, what Lorraine has said and, um, just, and I think it has, and, and William Blake, I think, had basically sort of socialist or like even anarchist politics, you know? So like, but it's like this kind of um, fusion of the text and the visuals. But what's also interesting with Freddie, um, he, you know, he died young. He was 50 and he died in like 1985, I think. And um, by the end of the co-op, uh, and the co-op closed in 1980 because they lost their lease, but like, by the end he was not really playing anymore with the um colors and stuff like the books they were printing were like he was writing like he was playing with language more like the works he was Mm. writing were like 700 pages long and (laughs) they had acquired a binding machine so like and they were typesetting everything in this typeface melior um okay and they were typesetting it at some kind of radical canadian typesetter place that somebody else should write a book about (laughs) okay (laughs) but um but it was just it was just like full justified you know maybe they were at that point using computers I'm not sure but like so that playful energy was really at the beginning and I kind of think it was a lot of it was like as he was getting to know the getting Mm. to know that Harris offset press and it it sounds like it was it sounds like it was a pain in the ass to do it so it was like so it may have been kind of fun right for a while but but yeah but I think as far as the like union of form and like the the, you know he 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 definitely he definitely recognized or like sought to um emphasize the labor that went into everything right and that's what right. that's what was that's actually one of the things that drew me from the very beginning too because when I went to that exhibition in Detroit and there were like different things there and then I it wasn't from the point of view of like the design so much so that you know so it was like more um around their politics and stuff but but clearly they were you know the design was there and they were the person who curated it was also like thinking about that but like we were like um but I was like struck by how many of the texts explained at the beginning they had some kind of colophon or something about like right you know um especially the early things they were like this paper was gotten from this place and it was you know sewn by hand by these people and then it was like this woodblock was printed here i mean that's a good it's a good point too because you know i said how visually interesting all all of this work is and it is but what also is interesting to me and kind of my my interest as a as a graphic designer also is that all these formal decisions were rooted in some sort of idea and so you write about kind of 
uh, color offsets and how that layering was, you know, kind of feeding into something that they were thinking about, that all of it had some sort of idea behind it yeah. also, which is, um, you know, kind of fascinating, especially for people who kind of come through the design, graphic design world. Um, and something that I think about a lot, and, and a lot of my work is around thinking about how we talk about design history and what is what even is graphic design yeah. history and it's so in the the graphic design history classes that i went through when i was an undergrad uh was just like slideshows of posters and books and it was like work looked like this and then it looked like this and then it yeah, <laughs> yeah and it looked like this and it's just like go through the meg's history of design textbook linearly and that's so limiting and so leaves out so much and it leaves out a lot on the thinking behind uh why design styles changed over time but then it also leaves out work like this that is kind yeah. of outside of the design system um and so i i guess the question that i'm trying to get to is how you thought about this book how you thought about the detroit printing co-op as a piece of history um, how did you kind of approach this as something that is both historical in regards to kind of political movements, but also in regards to kind of graphic design history? Uh, what was your process of kind of putting all of this together and thinking about this as a as a kind of history book in a way? Yeah, that's a thank you for that question. I think <laughs> that you're welcome. That that is a. Um, this is exactly what I was thinking about when I started in a way, because I um, was teaching history of graphic design mm -hmm. and um, trying to think, you know, and you're like, think, you know, you're there, I'm here in Detroit teaching about these like New York designers or like Bauhaus, you know, just moving around mm -hmm, Western mm -hmm. Europe. Like, let me talk about the steel and okay, we're going to jump <laughs> right. to the constructivists or whatever, but you're like, you know, you look around the classroom and, it's like people who are like fourth generation, like auto worker families and stuff. And you're just like, what oh, are we yeah. even talking about here? Like what is, um, and, but also like, I'm like design in Detroit. Um, a lot of these ways of talking about graphic design, not only the history, but even current, current trends and things kind of erase the, like what's actually happening here mm. or in places that are not on the, you know, like you, you said, if you said, have said the design system and I feel like, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and I think that that's, I've, yeah. And I think that that's something that I've thought about a lot, just even myself living in Detroit, like coming, you know, moving to Detroit when I did and like, you know, you're coming outside of the center of capital and you see like, okay, all the graphic design that we value or that's like considered good, you know, where does it come from? It's not coming from these places that are that have no money, <laughs> you know, right. and so right. <clears throat> and so um, and also coming to Detroit and teaching um, where I teach. I was like, I was like, wow, like students have their own 
interests and approaches and stuff. I mean, it was like, you know, and you're, just, yeah. So, so you're like, what are we, what are we saying is important? What are we valuing? So yeah. I, I started to, and I, and I started off teaching a lot of like basically lectures because I think that's what I knew. And of course, when you're going to teach a class, um, <laughs> you're scrambling and you're trying to pull it together and whatever. And, and, and I, and I also feel this responsibility, um, to teach like, to cover certain things. Cause I'm yeah, like, I'm yeah. like, I do feel like they need to have heard of Paul Rand or like the Bauhaus <laughs> before they leave, even if it's yeah. irrelevant to them. But um, yeah. I feel like a responsibility, you know, in all my classes to teach some basics of graphic design. Cause it's not a huge program. It's like, I mean the class, I mean, there's a lot of students, but there's not that many classes to get all this mm-hmm. in. So anyway, back to this question of the history was that like, I was like, I would try to bring in some Detroit history and, um, I, mm. you know, there's Cranbrook is nearby. So a lot of stuff yeah. kind of, a lot of Cranbrook kind of gets conflated with Detroit, but it's pretty different. Cranbrook is like 40 or 45 minutes outside of the city and it doesn't feel like of Detroit. And mm. um, Ed Fella, who's like one of the most famous, um, you yeah. know, Detroit graphic designers, he, he went to, he kind of um, worked in Detroit, then went to Cranbrook, um, you know, when he was like 40 and then right. went to California. So I feel like his work in Detroit is less, um, you know, is less is less like well known. Although he did actually do some interesting stuff for like art galleries. Anyway, oh, interesting. I didn't but, know that. Yeah, he did for like, uh, but but um, but, and then there's some psychedelic poster designers, Gary Grimshaw and uh, Carl mm-hmm. Lundgren, who did stuff for the mm-hmm. MC5 Grandy Ballroom. Also really cool. But I was like. I was like, you know, this is like a majority black city and with a really rich political history. And um, where is that? Where what th- things were being produced, you know, like, and so what was getting designed? And so I started to actually look actively for examples. And then I, I actually wrote a text about this um, book of poetry that I found um, that was like designed by this woman named Deborah Jeter. That was just this cool like pamphlet that i found from like it was like from the 80s um maybe late 70s and um and then i was just kind of keeping an eye out for like interesting graphic design stuff because what i realized was the thing is is the issue as a teacher is you need a story like you need the right you need the research like you cannot just all of a sudden start dropping stuff into your lectures if you know nothing about them (laughs) so (laughs) So, right. so then, but then you realize like all these things get left out of yeah. the history and then they, and then, and then you start to wonder, is this graphic design? Like, does this count? Because mm-hmm. like Freddie Perlman never took a graphic design class. Like he didn't know what he, he doesn't know typography, but he's doing typography. So, you know, and then it gets to that thing of like, what is taught? And I was just mm-hmm. reading, um, I'm sure you've read this text by uh jacob lundgren that lindgren that's like oh yeah design yeah. factory settings you know yep. and like yep. um i was talking about it with another friend here in detroit lauren williams who you should interview for your podcast she was like okay. a, she's a designer too but she's been thinking about this a lot but like about you know how does design pedagogy turn out these sort of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know what what yeah. what are we turning out and stuff so i feel like the thing about writing about the co-op was like <clears throat> I feel like bringing in um, sort of this, like, it's like left politics. It's like, you know, like bringing that kind of work in. I was hoping to sort of like, in a way, just put it into play. Because in a way, right. actually, one example, sorry, this is, I'm just like rambling. But one example that I feel like really changed 
for me, like when or affected what I was teaching was um the work of Emery Douglas, Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I remember I actually met Sam Durant, the artist who mm-hmm. wrote that catalog around like 2007. He was in Detroit for some reason. And um, my partner sort of knew him or something. So we like talked and he was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this catalog on this Emory Douglas and showed us images. And we were like, what? This is crazy. You know? And then he actually like gave me some of those um, images so that I could show them in lectures. So I started bringing that in. And even then I remember being like, is this sort of graphic design? This is more like illustration. How does this count? But you just like, but then you talk about it and you're like, it is graphic design. I mean, this is the history you know, that we are so conditioned to be like, if it doesn't look like Swiss or, you know, like, anyway, so, 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 so I think, I think we have to force these things in, but also we have to write the stories um, right. and, you know, and to do that, you have to learn the stories. So, well, something, something that I say a lot um, that I actually haven't applied to design history before, but now hearing you talk about the way you kind of think about that class and even this book uh, makes me realize that kind of relates because I'm, I'm like, I, I used to be somebody like, kind of like how you're talking about where it's like, Oh, is this graphic design? Is it not? And I kind of just don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, if it's interesting and if it seems like it has some sort of connection, we'll take it. Uh, you know, let's, let's, let's call it graphic design. And I think about how graphic design is kind of in everything and like everything is kind of graphic design. And I say that not as, uh, graphic design as colonizing, you know, not as kind of every like designers kind of going out saying mm-hmm. like, oh, this is us, this is us, but is actually democratizing and decolonizing. Mm-hmm. Um, saying, you know, uh, everybody can kind of do graphic design and graphic design is kind of in in everything. And I think that actually applies to history too. Yeah. And that if we kind of just say this is graphic design and this is not graphic design, we're going to miss out on the the Detroit Printing Co-op for example, or uh, I just read this interesting book called um, The Natural Enemy of Books, A Messy History of Women in Printing, oh, yeah, yeah. which is very connected. You should read it. It's very yeah, connected yeah. To, to your book. And I just interviewed them for the podcast also. Uh, and this was all these um, this kind of feminine feminist perspective on the history of printing and graphic design that was full of names that I had never heard of and was like embarrassed that I had not heard of them. Um, and it's because of, you know, this kind of uh, clean history that we we kind of, yeah. you know, try to, try to teach that then produces the same type of work that produces the same types of design, you know, and kind of gets caught in this spiral. Well, like one thing that I think about, because is, is like, because I was just, I was actually just thinking about this for something else, but like that person, for instance, Deborah Jeter, who designed mm-hmm. this, like great cover for this one book of poetry that I just you know happened to have found or whatever in Detroit (laughs) like she I learned had a bachelor's from college for creative studies which is the you know which is like a really good local art school you know art undergrad program school in Detroit (laughs) and but I don't know that she stayed in graphic design and one of the things that I've sort of also noticed is like even with a figure like Freddie Perlman he was like doing these really cool things in the early 70s but then he got more interested in like um 
you know, like indigenous Native American, like people in Michigan and just started mm. writing about that, like, and was no longer <laughs> really doing, <laughs> or, you know, yeah. whatever, he got interested yeah. in other stuff. And so I feel like there's also this thing about being like sustained in the field, because I feel like there's, there's, mm. you know, like, if you think about someone like Milton Glaser, like, I he just was around New York. I took a class with him at SVA when I was in New York. Like, you know what I mean? He was at the AIGA yeah. events and like, he's just constant. Right. And and Ed Fella right. too. Like Ed Fella, I just saw him, you know, he comes to stuff in Detroit still, even though he doesn't live yeah. here. Whenever he's in town, he comes to whatever graphic design thing. And so I feel like there's also, there's certain people who like, you know, it makes sense that they are like recognized within the field because they're like, um, they're really of the field, but then I think there's other people who kind of, um, there's a lot of work and I would say the majority of work and often really good work is produced by people who don't, who kind of drop in, make a few things. I mean, I should say, right. drop, not that they're even dropping into the field, but they make some like cool yeah. book or something. And then they do something else. They become like an astrologer or whatever. And then right. it doesn't like, um, take hold, um, and then, and then that's what I think about with my, and it's much harder to like write a history of that kind of thing or yeah. be thorough. Yeah. Um, but it's also very rich if you can, if you can do it. Can we, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about how you think about that in regards to your own work and career, because you are also somebody who uh, originally studied English literature and then kind of moved into graphic design what was your kind of transition into graphic design mm -hmm. and how do you kind of think about about uh that english lit background related to the work that you're doing and things you're thinking about now yeah so in undergrad i actually it was like i was an english major but it was like cultural studies was sort of my oh, okay. major so i it which was already a little more open you know like reading theory and Mm -hmm. oh, okay stuff like nice. that and i and actually through that i got i learned about act up and like aids oh, activism. yeah and so yeah. i I, I feel like i got kind of you know that's when i sort of got um politicized a little bit in undergrad <laughs> like more like exposed to things you know i, yeah, I, yeah, I got yeah, interested yeah. in like post-colonial theory and like marxism and stuff so mm -hmm. then um for me um and then, and then I got into graphic design actually because I um, moved to New York and was working mm. like as a receptionist. And then I met through a friend from college. I met uh, Mark Mark Owens. Do you know? Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Mark and his twin brother Matt and Matt yeah. Owens had just graduated from Cranbrook and was doing this like it was a freelance. Oh, right. Yeah, he was doing. He was working on his own and he was doing this like volume one which was like this like flash website that he would publish okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know i was like whatever I vaguely remember this yeah and he would just it was totally like his own thing i mean it was not client-based mm -hmm. and um and i just i remember actually being with my sister talking to mark and matt and my <laughs> sister was like what is graphic design and he was like holding up like a pack of cigarettes he's like who do you think makes this like who do you think mm. decided this is red and we were yeah. and we were like whoa so yeah that was sort of so i was like i want i want matt's lifestyle where like you just like <laughs> make your own schedule i hated going to work so then that was <laughs> yeah and then i kind of but also but also i think because i mean i, I think a lot of people in english kind of well or not a lot of people but there's like obviously there's like interest in 
language and yeah, the way yeah, it's represented yeah. and stuff like that. So graphic design just was like, you know, and like semiotics. I mean, I hate to use that word because I don't really even know what I mean by that, but like, <laughs> but you're like, it signifies in interesting ways. Um, Tell me if this is drawing too close of a connection um, or if I'm kind of, you know, making making a leap here, but it's interesting hearing you talk about kind of your introduction to graphic design and talking about being an undergrad and this is kind of your political awakening, discovering Marx and, and all of this. And then did you also kind of like the Perlmans see design as a way to embody these ideas? Did you see a connection from this other stuff that you were interested in with this kind of visual form making? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, okay, I think that, okay, I think I was attracted to graphic design for very similar reasons, definitely, actually. <laughs> but I think a lot of us are, I mean, because I think for, because if I'm, because I, so I have to, like, in my mind, go back and think about how, like, at the beginning, Freddie, before, Freddie and Lorraine, before they had the co-op, they were already printing stuff, um, just at other print shop, print places, you know, like other kind of left print shops that existed. So, but for them, you know, putting out these pamphlets and whatever, it was just a mode of expression. It was like getting things out there. And, and I think it's very empowering to feel like you can just make something look real, you know, like, you know how to make it look like it's real. And, and I think that that's something that, you know, that's what I remember. I remember very vividly, like learning about act up and, specifically their like ad campaign that looked like Benetton, but it was about like, Mm, mm -hmm. it was about like kissing doesn't kill. Right. Right. And I was like, whoa, that really looks like Benetton. And they knew how to make it look like Benetton. And, Uh, you know, and it was like, and I was like, that's so uh, powerful to be able to do that. But then I think I learned too much about graphic design and I started to feel like, oh, graphic design, you know, I like read ad busters and I was like, this doesn't even help us. Like, yeah. You know, like what good does this do? But then now I'm kind of back in that ground zero place again because I'm very like involved in political organizing. Yeah. And I take my graphic design skills sometimes a little bit for granted because it's like a thing because I'm much I'm actually much more focused on like organizing actually, like mm. um and I'm I've been just learning a lot about how to you know, how to how do you build power or, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a different thing. It's like, it's like labor organizing or like this kind of stuff. So, but then people need, they need graphics for stuff and then you produce them and they're like, Whoa, it's real. Like you made it real, you know? And I feel right. like, right. and I feel like um, it's not hard to, or I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to do. I mean, it is hard actually to, to do it well, but I feel like I'm just seeing how like um, graphic design um, I think the, yeah, anyway, the part that I was missing for so long was I was just trying to do political graphic design without being part of a movement. Uh, you know, you're just mm. like, I'm going to make this poster and it's going to be political, but then it just, right. then you're like, oh, I don't know. Why is nothing happening? Well, that, that's exactly, you took this question, you took that answer exactly where my next question was going to be, because I, I was interested in the intersection or overlap or connection between yourself as a uh political organizer someone who's who's heavily involved in 
in in local politics and as a designer where do those things come together and where do those diverge and so there's obviously the kind of clear ways where it's like oh well you can design stuff for <laughs> the organizations right. um are there other places where those connect for you or influence each other or change how you think about one or the other yeah like yeah this is so this is actually what i'm obsessed with right now or <laughs> thinking about oh, a lot right now but some of the more interesting conversations I've had lately are with um, another designer, political type of person, Dakota Brown, who's in Chicago. Mm. And he wrote this book or this pamphlet called Typography. Um, what's it called? Um, typography, Labor, and the... Wait. It's, like, it's on Typography and the Division of Labor. And he has been working on a PhD around uh, where he's writing uh, his dissertation is about the international typographical union and like mm. um so like labor organizing you know with what you know used to be graphic you know this it's not graphic designers but like type typesetters typographers mm-hmm. um it's like a major union so he's been writing about that and then i've also um but but anyway so one of the things that we've been that i've been like thinking about is what role beyond just making the flyer for the thing what role what is the sort of like political like yeah where do we sit as graphic designers and I feel like I just from and I think I think I think with a lot of these things it's important to just like not um be abstract just like think about yourself and so I'm like okay for myself I am a member member of a labor union at Wayne State University, <laughs> you know, like I'm the representative from my department of art and art history. Um, so I'm a graphic designer, but I, but I teach. And for a long time, I think I just didn't really accept or like that part of my identity or, I mean, it's, I, I shouldn't even call it my identity, but I just didn't, I just taught, but I was like, really I'm teaching at this school so that I can create the framework for doing research projects such as this book, you know, like, it gives me the support through like funding and summers off, et cetera. But then, but then since getting involved with, um, or like since really 2016 and, and like thinking much more urgently around like what, you know, about where we, where the left is, I feel like I've become like encouraged to become rooted in my workplace, you know, when, and you're like, okay, the work, this workplace actually <laughs> is a major employer in Detroit. Uh, my union represents like 1300 people, um, you know, and it's like, and to not take that for granted, you know, and to be like, if I feel, of course I feel alienated from my job. That's like in marks. I mean, everybody feels alienated mm-hmm. from their job. Like we all <laughs> pretend like we don't really have a job, you know what I mean? And like, try to leave yeah. it. And like, you don't want to focus on that because you're like, no, the political organizing is going to happen on Saturday at the March or whatever. So it's, it's like, right. it's like, no, you have to be like, this is what you do. And then on the other side of it, I feel like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about graphic designers um, as like, you know, the practice that I used to have and that a lot of my friends have where you, you have a studio and you piece together, you're doing piece work really, <laughs> you know, it's like you're piecing together mm-hmm. paid work. Mm-hmm. And then you're also teaching at like yeah. five different places. <laughs> yep, and, <laughs> That sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, and then, and then, and then it's like, what's the political, um, what is limiting there and what is the potential there? And I feel like there's a tendency to be like graphic designers can't be organized because we don't have a common employer or there's no common, you know, like, mm. but, but then I always think, 
like that's what they said about the longshoremen or that's what they say about mcdonald's workers you know it's like they say that about every sector like you can't be organized and that's what people said about you know professors and i'm like thank god my union was started in the 70s like i cannot imagine trying to get a union off the ground right now at where i teach but like yeah so i've been thinking so i've been so i've met other graphic designers in the dsa so i'm in the democratic the dsa democratic of america so i'm active in the detroit chapter but then I've been active there for like three years and actually it was my friend who's a graphic designer who got me in. Um, and then, and then I've met other designers now um, who are in DSA chapters around. And, and I feel like as the group gets bigger, you know, like nationally and it gets more and more members, mm-hmm. yeah. there's more and more just like designers that I know that I like recognize their names <laughs> and I'll be like, Oh, Hey. Right. And then I feel like, cause you know, actually one of the, yeah, anyway, there's, so there's a, that's a whole another interesting thing because there's people designing there who are not like trained graphic designers, but they're good designers, you know? Yeah. And it's also like, you want that energy of like, anyone can do it, but then you also, anyway, so, so there's, so I feel like there's starting to be conversations around like, um, around that. And one of the most important things um, not uh, that I really think is that a lot of graphic designers see themselves as providing a service. Like they come and they're like, I'm a graphic designer. What can I do? Tell me what to do. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like, um, ideally you want to like mobilize those designers to be like political agents, you know, like not, you know, so you, you want to be like, you come and you help to direct the whole thing <laughs> and also make the flyer, but not like come and, and, and have that client relationship with, with a, with an org. I'm curious how both that idea that you're talking about, but also, in a way, this entire conversation that we've been having manifests itself in the classroom for you. How do you show students, and I'm not asking you to be prescriptive necessarily, um, how do you show students the potential of graphic design uh, in these kind of avenues like you're talking about, that graphic design doesn't just need to be in service of capitalism, in service of consumerism, you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. branding, all the stuff that we kind of tend to think about in, you know, that graphic design students tend to be taught. Um, how, how do you kind of show them that and show them that potential? But then also, how do you talk about the printing co-op and say, you know, look at all these this amazing work that's done by people that don't consider them graphic designers and that this is something that you can know about too. Um, And then, you know, have students be engaged uh, and formally daring and experimental. And how does that all come together in the classroom? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and going back to your earlier point about feeling like there's certain things that you need to teach them, which I totally (laughs) feel also. And, and, you know, I I guess like what you're talking about is what I try to think about in the classroom. And I don't know how to bring all of those things together. How how do you start to think about that? Yeah, I don't know, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes two of us. Yeah, like I think I mean, I mean, one thing so I've taught for a long time now. And like, and and for a lot of those years, I didn't even really think of myself as being, uh, like I said, like, I didn't really like identify with being a teacher so mm-hmm. I feel like I just I was like I'm mainly the per- I'm mainly a designer I was like doing all this other mm-hmm. stuff and I mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then I teach so I didn't 
Like the only actually pedagogy book I did read was actually sort of like this thing around like Paulo Freire teaching. It was not Paulo Freire, oh, but yeah. it was like Ira, oh. uh, Ira, I can't remember his last name, but it was like, it was like by somebody who was like incorporating Paulo Freire's teaching into this okay. class, into like this community college classroom in Stan- Staten okay. Island. Very good book. Um, if I can only remember the name, but we'll add it in the, when you think of it, we'll add it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, um, but anyway, I think that um, having taught at Wayne state for a while, I've taught at like three places, at, you know, and I think it, the, the, I taught at CCS, which was an art school, which had like, mm-hmm. um, you know, a graphic design program where students would take, let's say like, 30 graphic design classes or something you know what i mean it was like the major Mm -hmm. that's like their major that's what they do and then i taught at princeton where um for a little while Mm. where they didn't have a graphic design program but you could take like some graphic design classes so you would maybe have one student who had had other graphic design classes but like it wasn't part of a everything was like concurrent like it wasn't really part of the curriculum you know because it's not they didn't have a, a, a major and then at wayne state um it's a it's like a public you know it's like a general right. education yeah. thing and so they or, you know it's like a big university and so we have a lot of students but but we, we're trying to teach them graphic design in like basically 12 or 13 classes and mm. and and it's like 120 students but basically there's like um three of us that are full-time and i feel like um it's what i realized after teaching there for a while was I got, I got, I kind of panicked because I was, I came in and I was teaching sort of like experimental ideas. I was like, let's make a project around machines and like experiment. And, and some students really thrived. Like, I mean, I definitely had students that was great, but I, but a lot of students like didn't know what to to do with that. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then to my horror, I would have them the next year as seniors and be like, wait a minute, I just had you last semester. Like, how right. did when did you learn typography? You never learned it. And I was like, shoot, that's on me. Like I need to teach <laughs> them how to set a paragraph of type somewhere in this curriculum. And so um cuz so now I'm actually the area coordinator for the um it's not okay. a major but like and I don't know if this is really I don't know what's the best for the students, but I do feel a responsibility to help them get an office job if that's what they want. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so cuz a lot of our students are like working class and I'm like yeah. and I'm like they do not want to be working at Trader Joe's and Costco forever. You know, they're in school for a reason. So let's try mm-hmm. to like teach them those skills that are going to translate to like right. that. And then some, so at the beginning when I first taught, I was more like, I was like the more ambitious thing is to teach the big ideas. And it is the more ambitious thing, but I felt like if I don't cover the basics on like um, type stuff, I don't know where, I don't know when, you know, like I was like, I'm not sure I'm helping them, (laughs) you know, except for the odd student who would show up, who was like kind of already, already new stuff, you know, and then they were, and then they would like be like awesome, you know, but so I've really like um, adjusted things so that the way I teach now, and I've teach a lot of classes across the curriculum, but like I teach history is really the class where I try to bring Mm -hmm. in the most ideas and we do a lot of reading Mm -hmm. and questioning of like what is graphic design and what the heck is this that we're learning and it and it's also a place to be like you know this is really white like curriculum like this is yeah, very yeah. western and white and even if it's you know you don't realize it like you know so then that's a place where we talk a lot about politics 
Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and then also I should say the more like I am, um, openly socialist, the less I bring it into the classroom because it's funny, like before when I wasn't involved with any movement organizing, I didn't feel, it didn't feel like threatening or something to be like, huh. I'm a communist. But then now that I'm like more, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I don't, I feel like I, I'm, ner- oh, I'm more nervous or something or not nervous, but I'm also, I also will just feel like, I also want to be like, okay, I want these students, all of them to feel comfortable in this space. And like, I don't want to, so yeah i mean I, I they can still tell like they'll still come up to me after class and be like are you you know <laughs> i'm interested in socialism are you and i'm like ah what did i say you know and i'm like that was just about william morris i don't know how that came out but okay <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah no that's an obvious one yeah yeah william morris but, makes but it I, but yeah yeah but i do feel like but i do feel like that question about um how to bring all this into the classroom is one that i like grapple with every semester yeah, it's an I know I know exactly what you mean. I guess I haven't really thought about it that way, but I guess I'm kind of similar uh, in regards to like how comfortable I am bringing in <laughs> my point of view mm-hmm. on things. And the thing that I always think about is that I want I don't uh, huh, that this that is interesting. I haven't really thought totally thought about it like this before. I want I I'm not afraid to hide my point of view. Mm-hmm. on things from the students but I don't want them to think that I want them to all share my point of view right. and so how do I how do I bring my full interests and uh, ideologies into the classroom but then also in a way where the students are free to be critical of those and of their own uh right and that's tricky yeah like I mean there are certain things that are clear like it's like I mean there, I have a, I try to I mean I should say with political stuff, it's more like I'd say almost around labels and things because I feel like yeah, yeah. they're they're in their they're because you know it's like yeah if anybody's saying stuff that's like um, homophobic or racist right, or right. you know or sexist, it's like no 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 that's you know we're right, not right, that's, right. we're not doing that and we're also um, I try to you know, and I definitely actually assign readings and everything around, around, um, you know, thinking about kind of like race and stuff critically, you know, in class and Mm -hmm. talk about that. But I feel like it's more, it's, I feel like it's more just because of like, you know, we're in the classroom and then swirling all around us. Or I should say I'm on Twitter, like getting annoyed at like Hillary, you know, like it's like Bernie, Hillary, Bernie, Biden stuff. You know, Like I'm like annoyed with everybody. And so I just don't want to bring that into the classroom because I feel like people have like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, but, but that's, but I, but I can't, but I sometimes wonder maybe if I should or shouldn't, I don't know. But I'm the, because I, I'm also like the faculty advisor for the like YDSA right. on campus, which is the like. So they're the socialists and they're all like history majors. Like that's kind of interesting because they're not, or they, I shouldn't say they're all history, but they're from like all across the university. So that's also nice to meet those other students. Mm-hmm. But I think that like in the classroom, um, one of the, I, I, in a way, I feel like one of the most important things maybe I'm, I'm saying this, although I've never said this before this way, but I feel like one of the more important things I think is to teach them to think of themselves more in that way, like as um editors and authors in graphic design like which or that that's the term that like I feel like um people were using in graduate school and I was in grad school but like graphic designer as editor where you're like you know where you're engaged in the process and I, I just try to teach them to think of themselves as like 
um, active agents versus just uh, let me do your business card because you exactly. asked me to do a business card. So, exactly. and I feel like then that can translate, that can up, uplift their political. I mean, that in itself feels slightly political. Maybe, maybe I'm over. Maybe yeah. that. Maybe it's not yeah. really, but it kind of is. And then, and then in the no, other, I know what you mean. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like that's the main thing is like. And I also try to tell them, like, look, we're teaching you these skills, like, I'm pretending like there's rules to some of this stuff, but it's just like, I just have to tell this to <laughs> exactly. you. I'm not, it's not like I believe exactly. it, but exactly. if I don't tell it to you, then you're kind of screwed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've used like that exact kind of framing when I've taught certain things before. Right. Other people will tell you that this is something important that is a rule that you need to know. I'm not sure I buy that, but I'm going to teach it to you right, right. now. Right, right, right. Because I, because I had, because I think when I first came out of grad school and started teaching, I was like, oh my gosh, like the other classes, they're so straight laced or whatever, and I'm going to teach the wacky thing. But then when I got to Wayne State, I was like no one is teaching the basic thing and I'm annoyed I have to be that one my last question this is a question that I used to end all of these conversations uh I'm curious what you're reading right now are you reading anything interesting yeah um oh well actually I am in a capital reading group which is Mm. for marks (laughs) which is which is um a challenge for me because even though I was an English major I don't I don't I find it difficult to read difficult texts um mm. and I don't like to do it <laughs> but but my partner is a he's um he sort of initiated it with some other people that are some of them are in DSA and some are just other like left people um interested you know it's like a it's, so we're in we're in we're actually in chapter 15 which is the machine chapter which is like really oh. interesting um it's very relevant to the co-op so i kind of dropped out of the capital reading group for a while but he was like you have to come back like this is very relevant to freddie perlman i was like ah so and it really is and it's also very relevant to graphic design um yeah work and practice so but i feel like but i'm but to say i'm reading it it's like i'll read like four pages of that section and then yep. go to the reading no, group I, discussion. <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely done. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, but there is like another book though, that I really like um, that has really impacted me as this book that's called, um, I read it a couple years ago. That's like uh, by, that got me kind of into all this organizing stuff is this book by Jane McKelvey called No Shortcuts. It's like mm, no shortcuts organizing in the Gilded Age or something. I mean, it's really, it's not about graphic design, but it's like about how she's kind of like talking about the left and where it's at right now. And she really, um, she really kind of like roots everything in union, um, mm. union engagement and talks about the like labor movement and how in order to rebuild the left, it's really just like conversation by conversation. It's extremely slow work. And, but it's, but it's, but that book really like, um, changed my whole orientation around like, you know, it just, I feel like it was like a roadmap, like, okay, this is what you need to do. Cause I was kind of just like casting about like, we're all screwed. What's going to happen. I, I don't know that book. I love that. That sounds so interesting. Thank you so much for doing this conversation. I loved the book. Um, 
I loved learning about Freddie and Lorraine Perlman. I I am obsessed. Um, and it was so nice to kind of hear you talk about how you think about and putting the book together and how this kind of fits into all of your other work. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was really fun. This episode was recorded on May 14th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.